The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to my chat with Richie Allen. I hope you enjoyed part one. Now it is time for you to hear and enjoy and be inspired by part two of his story. So... What I want to jump into now, Richie, is basically these two insane challenges that you did. And I wanted to cover them after these stories that you've just explained, because it just goes to show you that you can you can have these negative experiences and then you can still do these incredible things with your diabetes. So I want you to talk about them in more detail, but basically just to give a brief outline, Richie has walked 100 kilometers in 24 hours and then only a few months after that he ran three marathons in 24 hours which is insane so let's talk about the 100k in 24 hours first yeah well that that came out of lockdown and you're phrasing them correctly as insane challenges because i everyone was doing the the charity donations and fundraisers which was one of my favorite things about covid but i've told the story even i've gone back to my former school and done talks on this where kind of i, I tie my whole diabetes into it but i'll try to be as as brief as possible with it but with regards to the 100k that stemmed from i think you might remember do you remember the 5k challenges that took over instagram for months uh, you were getting tagged. People, mates would tag each other and be like, post your best 5K run. And one of my friends tagged me in it. And I was like, oh, dark, I need to go out and do a 5K run. <laughs> and about 2K into my run, I completely broke down. My body broke down and I l- literally limped home. And it was a strange one because I, I, I'd done loads of gym activity. I'd played sports, had done like CrossFit and stuff, but I'd never actually properly ran long distance. So with my body breaking down, I was like, well, that's embarrassing. So I posted the WhatsApp group and all the lads were like, you're a disgrace. You're (laughs) an absolute fraud. Uh, Donate anyway. And I remember thinking, Jesus, I'd I'd, I'd love to be able to like, you know, run long distance or do something rather significant. So that's when I started toying with the idea, Jesus, I, I, I wouldn't mind doing a challenge because this is during like pretty much the first lockdown we had. It was pretty much a year ago. And everyone I spoke to was rather down in the dumps. Me personally, I I didn't necessarily struggle with it, but I was just like mentally the fact that I've no goals to work towards. I've no plan for the week. I've no holidays to look forward to. 
everything just seemed so bleak. So I was just like, right, I need to try set something for me to chase here. So I started brainstorming with uh, my close friends on Instagram being like, oh, should I do this challenge and put up a poll? And most people were like, no, that's a terrible idea. You'd you'd absolutely kill yourself. So (laughs) I remember reading about the 100K challenge in 24 hours. And the thing was, I was like, I couldn't run a marathon at this stage. So I was like, there's no way I can run a marathon because my body would break down. So maybe if I do less impact stuff for longer, it could work. So then I started reading about it. I read about people in America who'd done it, someone I knew, uh, well, like a friend of a friend of a friend in London did it. And I was like, right, not everyone's saying don't do it. So I was like, right, if I plan it well, I'll be able to do it. And I then set up the page, hadn't formally announced this. And then remember, I went to my doctor uh, just for a local checkup, doing my bloods. And I mentioned to him, I was like, oh, by the way, I'm thinking of doing 100K in 24 hours. And he was like, who's doing this? I was like, me. And he was like, what, what do you mean you're doing that? And I went, oh, I'm going to raise some money for charity. And he was like, oh, no, absolutely not. No way. You can't do that. And I was like, why? He's like, oh, diabetes, it's very dangerous, not happening. So yet again, for not the first time in my life, it's like every time I go into a sauna, I read that a diabetic shouldn't go into a sauna. So I was like, right, I don't necessarily going to adhere to the adhere to the rules here. But I kind of gave the two fingers to my doctor, went home, and I was like, here, I can do this, definitely. So I went, right, screw it post posted the fact on my instagram that i was going to do it i'd already set up the fundraiser page before i knew it there was like 600 quid in the space of an hour already donated and once that happened i was like right i have to do this there's no there's no going back now i can't just be like thanks for donations but turns out i i'm just going to sit on my sofa for the whole day so (laughs) i set a i set a date for it and as I said, I gave myself about four weeks to prep for it, which in hindsight was nowhere near enough time. But I set the the challenge, set the dates, which it pretty much was, I think it was like a year ago and three days from today. So we're nearly, it's pretty much just past the one year anniversary. But I remember like the whispers of my doctor being like, oh, it's really dangerous. It's not going to be good, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I did a practice walk. I was like, right, I might as well practice maybe 20, 30K. And I walked from Donnybrook to Kalini and back. And I think that was only something like 22 or 23K. And it took like several hours. And I remember coming home absolutely wrecked, like complete, had like seven blisters, felt like crap. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not even 25% of the way there. How am I going to do this? So after that, it took me like two days to get over it, like even a a 20 something K walk. And I go through it and get recovered. I then start getting more and more donations. At this stage, thousands have been donated. I then start mapping my route out. And to put into perspective how long it is, it's essentially like walking from Donnybrook to Gorey in Wexford. Or to put it into perspective, to tell my route, I went from Donnybrook into Grafton Street all the way up the Liffey, up through like Christchurch, up all the way to Terenure, 
back to Donnybrook, all the way up the N11 to Fox Rock, two whole loops of Fox Rock, all the way walk down to Dunleary, all the way up to Kalini, loop around Kalini, go down the whole coast, all the way back to the three arena, then turn around from the three arena, walk up to Balls Bridge, walk up to Donnybrook, and at that point, you're halfway there. <laughs> that's so halfway? That Yeah, that's not even... <laughs> that's, you going to say that was the 100K. No, that wasn't even uh, 100K. I remember that whole thing was like 50-something K, um, which is crazy to think of it. But the actual thing itself, I remember thinking back to it, one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because, as I said, it gave me a focus. It helped me mentally from a point of view but a big thing is and it's important for diabetics to know this is for all these big long-term like marathons i'm sure loads of people who maybe listen to this would like to do a marathon or whatever like the, the complexity is different for us so like loads of people before the night before for instance were like oh you're gonna carb load or you're gonna have loads of pasta loads of pizza and just like eat six thousand calories and i was just like uh, no to be honest i'm barely gonna eat anything and the reason I had behind that was, number one, if I say carb load, I know for a fact my bloods are going to spike at some stage. And when I spike, say, for instance, my blood, say, 14 or 15, and if I take insulin to counteract that and then get back down to, say, 5.6 or 6 or whatever, I feel like I've, I, I'm just drained for, like, 20, 30 minutes when that 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 happens when I go from being quite high to normality. I feel completely swamped and drained for like 15, 20 minutes. So I was like, I, I don't want to afford that while I'm doing it. So throughout the whole walk, I only had like three to 4,000 calories in total. And the idea behind that, I was like, okay, I might not feel good, but like, to be honest, I'm not going to feel good anyway. And at least this way, my bloods can be managed. And I had my freestyle Libre scanner, so I could scan every 15, 20 minutes. And I was having just like a few bananas, nuts, fulfill bars. And that honestly kept me going for the whole thing. Even though like if I was a normal person and my insulin <laughs> worked on demand, I would have absolutely eaten anything that came my way. The night before, I would have had a massive pizza but all that just wasn't really an option to me so the actual walk itself was i'm not going to say fine but i walked i pretty much had friends of mine throughout the whole whole uh, distance which was great and i remember this is funny enough so the the podcast and um, i had you on those what was it two years ago or so on the week before I actually did this walk, I had an ultra marathon runner on and he's like one of the best, if not the best ultra marathon runner in the world. He's like, he's from South Africa. He did a hundred mile race in his house, which is crazy. Um, like his in house, his actual like house, like, no, no, literally running around his house. I think it was either a marathon or a hundred miles, one or the other and run around his house and like wow. using his back garden and stuff. So, and like some of the races he does are 100-mile races, 150-mile races. And he always said to me, he goes, the start's going to be easy, halfway point, you should be okay. And it's like when you get to about 65 70%, that's when, that's when, pardon my French, like, you know, the crap will hit the fan. And 
I remember walking through the whole thing and thinking, oh, I feel great. 30K in, 40K in, 50K in. I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a bit of pain in the knees, ankles, et cetera, et cetera. And well after the halfway point, it was like 54K. I'd walked through all those little towns I'd mentioned. I'd done that route. I'd come home. I had to do like a change of socks, uh, shoes, and good old trusty mother. She pretty much stayed up the whole night because she was way too worried to go to bed at the risk of me potentially uh God knows what would happen, but that was one of the things as well. Before I did it, I had to kind of come to the realization that I'd have to walk through the night. So I decided it'd be best to start at, I think it was, yeah, four o'clock in the afternoon and walk through the night rather than maybe having to do a two night time. So say if you start at two in the morning till mm. two o'clock the next day, you'd have to deal with the night time twice. So I was like, it's pretty cold. It's the end of November. I don't want to be, you know, in the freezing cold for longer than any longer than six hours. But anyway, I get to the halfway point, go back to my house, take off all my shoes, just like take off my shoes and then all my socks. But I remember counting, I had something like 12 blisters. I had three blood blisters. The My nails on my toe, one of them, I stupidly forgot to cut. So that was one of the things all the people were like, they were like, make sure you cut all the nails off. And I cut all them off bar one. And that one had like dug so badly into its neighbor and toe that like there was literal like little scabs of flesh coming out of it. It was that deep, the friction, um, which was pretty disgusting. But I remember at that stage, I was like, this can't get much worse. But lo and behold, the route I did then was then from Donnybrook walk up to Black Rock and bear in mind this is like three or four o'clock in the morning I as I'm walking towards Black Rock that was the only time from Donnybrook to Black Rock where I was on my own and I remember checking back on my kind of time and my distance and I was well over 60k there this is obviously like a good hour and a half after I'd left the house uh, to change my stuff but I remember looking down, and this one of the big takings I actually have from it was, I remember looking down at my shoes, there's blood all over them. I was limping. There was no one there. This was the first time for the first, what, 12, 14 hours that I didn't have a mate or someone I knew walking with me. And I was going to meet some of my mates who were actually drinking in someone's house, but they said they'd come out for a quick walk because it's the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> I said I'd meet them. But... I think it's Mount Marion Avenue. It's the road from the N11 all the way down towards Black Rock. Uh, about halfway down there, I think it's besides, it's a Lisney office. Uh, halfway down, there's a little bench. And I remember as I was walking down, I was trying to listen to as much David Goggins podcast as possible, but they were, they were getting a bit repetitive at this stage. I remember thinking in the back of my head, back to the ultramarathon runner, where you get like 60, 65% in that's when a lot of people hit the so-called dreaded wall. And I remember looking down at my like shoes, I could see like the blood popping through. I like, I'm limping down. It's freezing cold. I'm wearing like six layers. It's like three degrees. I look at my Strava and I'm like, Oh my God, I've got like 36.3 kilometers to go. Uh, which is like way more than even the warm up walk I did up to Kleine and back that screwed me over. So I remember there was a 
there was a bench and I sat down on the bench and the way I described this was it fully felt from my left and my right that there was these two absolute huge tsunamis coming towards me. And like, no matter where you ran, they were going to hit you at some stage. And I felt like some people compare it to like two walls closing in on you, but I just felt the inevitable was coming. And what that actually was, was like all the the physical fear, the pain, the expectation, because as I said, everyone all over social media knew about it. I had so many friends and, you know, people who uh, would have big followers, like professional rugby players and stuff for sharing the story. So a lot of people were aware of what was going on. I was putting up live updates and just as I was sitting on the bench, suddenly the whole thing came home where I was just like, physically mentally just broke down and started on my own at like four in the morning in the freezing cold in the middle of black rock started bawling my eyes out just being like i'm so spent i am completely the most vulnerable and like even this is worse than the the hypo i had while i was away with the lads in portugal i just felt completely just laid bare stripped down helpless and I bawled my eyes out for two, three minutes. And this is quite funny, actually. I get a phone call from one of the guys who was on the sauce drinking in Black Rock. And it, funny enough, it was the same guy who wasn't as um, reassuring or supportive when I just recovered from my hypo in Black Rock and was asking why I was so down in the dumps. <laughs> uh, no fault of his own, though. And he was like, where are you? And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm... Uh, I'm just on Mount Marion. And he goes, will you hurry up? We're in the freezing cold. Will you get down here? <laughs> so I was like, right, I, I, I best go. And that kind of switched me back out of it. So I staggered down to the lads. I met them, albeit for they only put up with me for about 15 minutes. And it was too cold. So they went back to the old drinking. And I ended up then limping my way the next like 30 35k and i remember at sunrise i went to sandy mount and just did lengths of the strand and if you think about it for sunrise the amount of parents the amount of couples the amount of boys girls who go walking their dogs i ended up bumping into like half of dublin it turned into like nearly a forest gump type thing (laughs) where half the people i knew and they were like go on richie and at this stage i was limping and i had two walking sticks with me because i couldn't really stand up but yeah i got i got over the line and i think it took 23 hours and something like 20 minutes and i think the last kilometer took something like 39 minutes and i remember when i got home and completed this, I just like lay back on the sofa and within, I think it was like, honestly, 40 seconds, I was just snoring on my parents' sofa and didn't wake up for like six hours. But the thing was, I'd actually forgotten to post an update on my Instagram story. So the last post was like 99.1K there, almost, almost home. So people were just waiting for the final update of obviously, oh, I've completed it, but I forgot to do that. So people were trying to call me. My parents had to pick up my phone because all my mates were like, is he all right? He had like less than a kilometer to go, but he hasn't posted. Did he Did he, Did he? he collapse or what happened? <laughs> so my parents had to wake me up and go, you didn't post. And I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll throw something up. But 
yeah, I've never been more exhausted. But the crazy thing was after that like 60-something K meltdown, breakdown I had, the physical pain got so much worse over the next 35K. But the fact that like mentally I basically completely collapsed and never felt more vulnerable in my life, the physical stuff actually felt quite easy. I was like, okay, I know I've like blood all over the bottom of my feet i know i can barely walk i need walking sticks etc etc but um it actually felt quite easy in comparison to how weak i felt you know at that 60 something k mark and yeah we it was for make a wish foundation and we ended up raising i think it could have been eight or nine thousand at the end of it I remember looking, I think I have something like 26,000 steps and like I burnt like 14,000 calories. And yeah, just a long, long ordeal. I couldn't walk for two days after. It took me something like three weeks to be able to do like a lunge or squat in the gym. So the recovery was quite intense. I'd lost like 2.9 kilograms because as I said, I, I didn't actually eat a huge amount. But yeah it was something that i I, like even i always kept thinking back to my doctor just being like you can't do that it was something that obviously was made tougher with the fact that i had diabetes but it was also something that by accomplishing i kind of felt not more normal but i felt that yes there are limitations to having diabetes but ultimately you can do a hell of a lot that in some cases many people don't think you can do if you if you just simply go ahead and just go out and do it and um, because i remember putting up a poll before i did it on instagram and like hundreds of people voted on it and i think it was like the question was do you think i'll do the 100k in 24 hours and like 92 percent said no way <laughs> so really it, it was well the thing was isn't to give you context i couldn't do the 5k run i was a guy who was the laziest SOB in school. I was just by choice, just a lazy human being. So people just thought I couldn't do it. And especially funny enough, I at the start there, I said that a friend of a friend in London had done it. The thing was, what I'd found out about four hours before I started the, the walk, the guy in London ended up in emergency A&E. Because about 60%, no, what was it, 70K true, he collapsed due to exhaustion. And I remember hearing that a few hours before. Uh, I was like, oh, how did your man get on over in London, by the way? He said he did it the other day. He said he did it a few weeks Looking ago. Looking for he reassurance. Yeah. And he goes, oh, he was, A&E, he was in A&E for two days because he almost died of exhaustion. So I was like, okay, I started in four hours. <laughs> and this is just a couple hours before you're starting. Yeah. So I had that playing <laughs> in my mind, you know, for quite a while. But it was... Yeah, it was gas. But yeah, it was something that I definitely, I would never do again. And I wouldn't swear on my worst enemy, but it was something that just from a support point of view, but then also from a physical and mental point of view, my God, like after that, I nearly felt like bulletproof to an extent. The fact that Mm -hmm. I could do that, that everything else was put into perspective now. So like if someone goes, oh, do you want to do a 5K run now? I'll be like, yeah. Sure, I had to do 100K or if someone's like, do the dishes or will you collect me from X and Y? I'd be like, yeah, it's not a bother to me. Like, 
So it was good from a perspective point of view and then also just from a physical and mental point of view of pushing yourself to a, a place you didn't think you could get to. Yeah, it was an unbelievable story to say the least. And I was kind of just in awe of you telling that whole story. And what struck me there was when you said how you almost accepted and understood the physical challenge of it when you were kind of 60, 65K in, but the real difficult side of it was the mental aspect. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, Richie, like when you were admittedly in such a vulnerable position mentally, what sort of conversations were you having in your own head to get you to that 100K? What were you saying to yourself? I just think when you get to that, and I'd never really experienced the the breaking point, and I'm sure anyone who's maybe done crazy challenges, or for instance, anyone who's done a marathon, there's always that point where you you doubt yourself physically and mentally. And this point, as I said, it was more of the mental side of things. I I fully just every single time I'd come up second best, and that's in an exam are even to the point where the day I got diagnosed with diabetes, where you're told you can't do this or this is not going to be possible going forward or all the, the sport and second bests I had uh, and bad days. That's what flooded my mind. I was just like, this is like literally the crunch time. This is the difference between you calling a friend or one of your parents and saying, I'm done, or this is the difference. And this sounds so cheesy. It's something Rocky would say in Rocky 9, but it's very much a case where you basically get to a point where you've never been mentally before. And it is that kind of sink or swim mentality. And to be honest, if I hadn't got that call from my friends, uh, there's no way, way of me knowing I, I could have easily have just packed it in because as i said like physically and mentally i was i was completely broke i was uh, a pint glass smashed on the floor and with that sudden just click of the fingers my phone that distraction that then gave me a purpose to i need to get to black rock in 15 minutes because that's where my friends are going to be but at that stage prior to that i was thinking all the negative things. I was thinking, how am I going to word my Instagram post tomorrow about how I could only do whatever it was, 64.7K and the fact that Make-A-Wish Foundation, I've got eight or nine or whatever it was, thousand euro, but the the sorry sod could only do 60% of his challenge. So all those things were running through my head. And then like in reflection of that, the fact that I'd basically gone back to zero to level zero to vulnerable vulnerability like at a hundred percent that's when everything that went after that from a physical point of view seemed not redundant but it just felt it just didn't feel that significant anymore so it was more or less a lot of the negative questions a lot of the negative thoughts would pop in and you kind of had to confront them being like Am I going to conform to that and think, okay, that's me. That's I need to call someone and say I'm done, or do I just kick on and you know establish myself in somewhat of a new form? And thankfully, it was the latter rather than the former. And how did you feel then, the days following, knowing that you had done this and having those conversations in your head and almost questioning what you had done in the past to a certain extent, saying 
you were second best in sport or exams or school or whatever it was. And knowing that you had got to that mental and physical breaking point, but got through it and almost challenged those negative thoughts that you would have had. What were the the following days like mentally and emotionally? They were quite humbling in a sense where it, it, like everything was just back to normal so soon. But just from a personal point of view, it was just like, and I'd actually be doing a disservice by saying the learnings I took from it, but like the actual like strength I took from it was crazy. Like my whole perspective on everything had changed. So chores around the house didn't seem that bad. Physical challenges didn't seem that bad anymore. Even in work, if I was told here, you've got a deadline on Friday at 11, normally I'd go, oh, for God's sake. Like I don't, <laughs> don't want that deadline hanging over me. All that just seemed trivial. And and it's good that you alluded to it there. Because like when I was growing up, when I was 14, 15, all the way to 19, 20, 21, academics, I was the laziest person. Every single one of my report cards just said, this guy could get 600 points. Well, no, could definitely not get 600 points to live, <laughs> but I could get a hell of a lot more points than what it looked like I was going to achieve. And even in sports like rugby, I was always told you have so much talent, you could do this and that, but your mindset, you're just not willing to push yourself there. So it did make me reflect on everything I did beforehand and how my mindset was that way and how I viewed everything in a certain light. But it it definitely strengthened me and the best thing from it was my perspective changed on absolutely everything. It wasn't even just, oh, I can I did a hundred K and now things should look easier on a rowing machine or an assault bike. It meant that it gave me a different perspective on, you know, somewhat being like one thing I used to get kind of somewhat self-conscious about was say like injecting insulin in public. But then after this walk, I, I literally do it now for fun. People sometimes might think I'm addicted to heroin because I'm sticking needles in myself outside Donnybrook <laughs> Fair, but it's, um, it's something now I completely own. <clears throat> and that's what I said from a, a, a strength of character point of view, it gave me a, a confidence to be somewhat bulletproof, but more or less it's more of the external stuff now seems not that important and not that trivial and not as bad as a lot of my minds would make it out to be. So yeah, there was a lot of questioning of like what I used to be and how I used to view things both physically and mentally, but yeah, my word, the, the, the response and the things I learned from it have definitely been of huge benefit. Yeah. It's uh, even something that I feel is going to benefit anyone listening to this podcast right now, including myself, Richie. I was listening to that whole story and even listening to you speak now, it's like, why am I doing more of yeah. these types of things? You know, And to know that you've been through that physical and, and more importantly, that emotional and mental change, it just goes to show you the significant impact that things like this can have on you overall and most yeah. importantly that that massive shift in your mindset is is like completely inspiring to even hear about so when did you then decide to take it up a notch 
to do well if it is taking it up a notch it's another insane yeah, challenge but three do marathons, three marathons yeah. in 24 hours yeah so that that was similar reasoning behind the first one where i was we were coming into i think this was the second lockdown or there was just more restrictions being loomed over us and the same thing happened it's nearly like if you have a massive event or if you have huge exams or a huge sporting event or whatever it may be that 100k was viewed as my like world cup final so then once i got through it i had nothing on my whiteboard i had nothing to train for i had nothing to kind of look down the line and go okay in two months that's where i need to be it was just oh restrictions i can't do this i've no holidays i've no like everything was just negative so very quickly after that i found myself even though i'd done you know raised great money for charity did an incredible physical feast i just ended up getting back to work working from home and then the same old kind of negativity just kept creeping into my head just being like oh when will this covid ever end and just being generally negative about everything so i then started thinking i was like right could i do another charity challenge and got chatting to a few of my mates again and they're like here if you can do anything that is even remotely similar to that 100k you'll probably have to jump off a building and land on your feet (laughs) so i was like that's probably a fair assumption but at this stage i i was much fitter mentally i was stronger i'd lost a, a huge amount of weight i'd been like i just felt a lot better and i could as i said i could complete a 5k challenge now so i was thinking the lads were like, oh, why don't you do an Ironman? And I was like, I'm not getting into the ocean. It's too cold here. So that was taken off. Then we were looking at stuff like, why don't you try, I think another one was bear crawl 10 miles, which would have been a terrible decision, but probably something that, I don't know, would have been quite funny to see. But the thing I laid on was, I was like, okay, why don't I do a 24-hour window again? And let's see what we can fit in. And the lads were saying, why don't you try do like two marathons in 24 hours? I was like, would I not have loads of time then? Like, or what if it's like six hours or whatever? And the thing with the marathons was, I thought it'd be a good idea if I, rather than say do three uh, running marathons, I was like, why don't I row one, cycle one, and then run one? Because there are three, three things I absolutely hate. I there's a running joke in my friends uh, group that me and cyclists is the great battle of the modern day. Um, I always <laughs> seem to get in arguments, so they always seem to get in arguments with me. So I am um, I'm never far away from complaining about people on bikes. Um, through my own ignorance, by the way, I'm not I'm not the right one in that. <laughs> um, but I thought that would be a good idea. A row as well with my little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. Rowing is definitely not a a great thing for me. And then run. Running is something that I'm so useless at, as we refer to in the 5K failure. So I was like, okay, how about I try to do those three things in 24 hours and, yeah, give it a go. Go back to my doctor, same thing again. Don't do that. It's really dangerous. You won't be able to do it. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of my mates were like, geez, I don't think you'd be able to do that physically. 
The good thing about this was it wasn't going to take 24 hours. It's not like the walk that took 23 hours. It was going to take me, like I was calculating, I was like the road would be four to five hours. The cycle would be three to four hours and the run would be anywhere from four and a half to seven hours. So like that doesn't make up 24 hours. So at least this stage I could get some sleep. I could actually eat a little bit of maybe like a meal. And the way I did it was... I was going to start at like eight o'clock in the evening with the row, then go to bed for like six hours, wake up, do the cycle from like seven till 10. And then from whatever, 12 o'clock to six, seven, do the run. And yeah, so this time I did raise money for the Irish Cancer Society. It gave me that vision again to like aim towards something. I gave myself like six weeks to prep for it. I think it was in March or April, I'm not exactly sure. It was a couple of months after the 100K and it gave me, as I said, that thing to look forward to. And as I approached, I did much more training, like really went hard after this. I was like, I need to absolutely nail this. So I started training for it quite intensely. And yeah, it got to the stage where the day came and with the weird thing about this was there was no one really with me. So like for the row, I used one of my mates rowers for the cycle. I was going to do it with one other guy. And then with the marathon, I was doing that on my own. And the row, I begun, the row took, I think it was something like four, what was it? Could have been like four and a half hours. So like, uh, it was quite a long time. I think, what is it? It's 42 point something K. Um, so on the row that was pretty significant especially during the row about five thousand meters in i end up like pulling my groin doing like a slight strain so on a row that's obviously far from ideal when you're extending your legs every two seconds mm. but i found that my back blew out about 10k in i then had to get like a weight lifting belt like completely wrapped around my back uh, what I didn't know is because I had to take my T-shirt off because of the sweat, I had I got such a bad skin sweat rash because I just had this belt frictioning up against me for four hours. So that didn't obviously help. And I go to sleep after that. And obviously, I'm giving updates as I go along. Oh, Rose done, feeling great, even though I was in absolute agony. <laughs> then the next morning, I woke up at seven to do the marathon cycle which is like i think it was like from donnybrook out to hoth and back more or less and the guy i was actually meant to do it with like i i if anyone can take any message from this is that if your friend is doing a charity uh, event or is doing something where he needs you just do not touch alcohol uh in the night before but i get a text from my mate at like five minutes to seven going hey bud i won't be able to do it i'm in i'm in absolute bits i was out last night so i was like oh brilliant <laughs> so i i get him that's helpful isn't it yeah no i've just <laughs> i've terrible friends that's the thing i'm i've just terrible terrible <laughs> friends but uh no i'm messing but the thing was since i didn't have a bike i had to borrow one of my mates's bike and it was like a proper good racing bike um and i kind of had all the gear i was prepped for it and I was like, what's the story with the saddle if I need to change it? And he goes, oh, do you see that? Like, it was like a little purse underneath the saddle. He was like, oh, there's a key in that. So if you want to adjust it. And as I'm cycling, start from Donnybrook, I get to like Sandy Mount. 
in my backpack, by the way, I had my LucasAids. I had my LucasAids Sport. I had loads of water. And I'm off cycling on my own. And this is fully, this is it's crazy how this is true. But the saddle was actually too big. So I then go, I'm getting like, where was I? Near Ring's End. I go to change the saddle and I open up the purse where there should have been a lock key. The lock key wasn't there. So I was like, right, so I have a slightly too tall bike for a marathon now. Brilliant. So gradually as I kept going throughout the marathon on the bike, it kept like basically like just scabbing the my groin area. So by the end of it, like I had like proper like blood dripping down my legs because it was too tall of a bike. Um, and if you imagine like how uncomfortable it is being on a bike slightly too big for you for 20 minutes, try that for three and a half hours after you've just done a row with four <laughs> hours kip. And the thing was, and the reason I mentioned the, the cycling aspect of it, I get out to Clontarf and I start kind of going, oh, I better check my bloods, check my blood and I'm 3.9. So then I go, right, I'll grab some of my Lucasade. And I had a Lucasade Sport in the back of the bag. Um, I start kind of looking around for it. I was like, oh, where is it? And then I kind of, because it's very hard to like get your bag into your bag without taking it off. And I was kind of trying not to. So I was like, right, I'll get off the bike and take it out. I look at my bag and turns out there was actually a hole in the bag. And every single thing, bar one little Lucasade suite, had fallen out of my bag. I don't know where. I don't know how. I didn't hear it. But all of my water, everything had fallen out. And as I said, there was no one there to support me and stuff like that. But more importantly, I was like, I don't have my wallet. I don't have any source of carbohydrates. I have one measly Lucas A tablet. I need to do another hour and a half of exercise. I'm in a bit of bother here. So... I had to go up. There's a cafe called Happy Out on Bull Island, and I kind of know one of the owners there. Uh, there was a queue of about 40 people, and I rock up, skip the whole queue, looking like, God, how bad did I look <laughs> walking by them? <laughs> and I go up to the front of the cafe, and I go, Hi, I'm having a bit of a medical emergency here. And I explained the whole story. I'm doing a marathon. I'm a diabetic. I don't have any food. I don't have wallet. I am like 30 minutes away from my gaff. All my friends are asleep because it's like 10 past eight in the morning or whatever it was. I was like, I just need a can of Coke. If you do not give me a can of Coke, can of Coke, someone is going to have to deal with me probably falling on the floor again and an ambulance being called. So your man, as I said, this like pump and sweat generally thought I was either completely insane or actually telling the truth or probably both. But he <laughs> ends up giving me the can of Coke. I get a text from the owner who obviously this was posted into the WhatsApp group of, I'd say, all happy out staff being like some crazy lunatic came off his bike and said, if I didn't get a can of Coke, he'd die. So we gave him a can of Coke. Like, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. But I remember having that and just thinking, wow, I, I, of all things to try screw this up, just just when you think you're prepared, suddenly a few things go wrong and then good old diabetes coming back to humble you. So 
completed the cycle as i said my legs were in bits there was blood all over my groins due to that stupid saddle that i still haven't forgiven and yeah with regards to the run i went home took 30 minutes break changed clothes and then i think it was like three or four o'clock in the afternoon oh no it was earlier than that so it was like i finished the cycle at around 11 and then i took like an hour or so so then when I started the marathon, I think I had like seven hours and 30 minutes to do. So I was like, oh, that's loads of time. What actually transpired was my like whole body completely caved in throughout the marathon. I started off at like a, a six minute per kilometer pace and held that for like 10K. And then after that, it just gradually got worse and worse and worse to the point where it was walking I had to go barefoot. Then I couldn't actually stand on concrete, so I had to go to Clonagale by Ring's End. And I had to walk on my bare feet and, like, run, walk, run, walk. And I always I always laugh thinking back to this. So this is on a weekend, and there was obviously a few of the local lads out in the sesh because this is obviously back when restrictions were in. So there's a few young fellas watching me stagger around Clana <laughs> Gale are um with bare feet and these lads are there having their Dutch gold cans and whatnot. And they like I remember one lad just goes, he was like, Here, you, you, you and I was like, Yeah and I he's like, What the hell are you doing? You're walking around, you what, what the hell are you up to? And he used one or two choice uh uh swear words as well while he was in there, but I was like, Oh, I'm doing something for charity, just please leave me alone. I was afraid they're gonna start beating me up. <laughs> but the whole group, once I explained to them what I was doing, they all just started laughing at me. And they go, you absolute mad, you fair play to you, fair play to you. So every time I passed them by, which was several times while I was doing my laps, they all would be like, keep going, keep going. Don't let us down, don't let us down. That's unreal. And okay. yeah, I ended up finishing it. This was actually funny. I ended up finishing it in the 24 hour with what was it seven seconds to spare seven Seven seconds seven seconds because it got got to the stage where i couldn't walk i basically had to walk for five minutes and then summon up enough energy to do a two minute run and i remember looking i had like 1k left to go and i had like seven and a half minutes eight minutes and i was like i'm gonna have to like fully go above and beyond here to, to get this done and Thankfully, I did, but I remember with like a minute to go, I had to like pretty much just go, I have to keep running nonstop here or else I'm not going to finish it. And imagine if like I finish it three seconds after the fact and because I had it all on Strava, my time, so like I couldn't really bluff anyone. So I, yeah, got in with a few seconds to spare and ended up just laying in the middle of Irishtown uh, Park for about, 20 minutes on my own in complete agony before I could get a lift home. But yeah, no, after that, that was in some ways, like mentally, that was quite easy. As crazy as that sounds, mentally, the 100K, as I said, had conditioned myself to a point where I was quite comfortable doing that. But like physically, with all the stuff that happened, the the road, the sweat rash, the groin strain, the bleeding in my groins due to the too tall saddle the hypo forcing me to skip a queue at 
Bull Island. <laughs> uh, the fact that I literally couldn't walk towards the end of the marathon, uh, they were all like physical physical pains that I kind of could deal with. And it was never really a moment where I was like, oh, I can't do this similar to the 100K. So to get that done, as I said, I did that for Irish Cancer Society. And I think we raised something like six, 7,000 for them, which was great. And yeah, no, I got that done just in the, the nick of time. And after that, I think it was a case where I was like, right, I'm I'm absolutely done here. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, in three months time come back with okay well i'm gonna run 200 kilometers in 48 hours i was just like i'm i'm packing it in for the crazy and mental challenges but it was one that had definitely taught me like physically being able just to to graft makes a huge huge difference and as i said mentally what i took for complete granted before say the 100k and that's where ultimately i broke down most people when they say would have gone through some of the stuff i went through on those three marathons the groin strain like if i get a groin strain when i'm jogging or in a match i come off with this i was like i have to row another thirty-seven thousand kilometers sleep for five hours do a marathon on a bike rest for an hour and then do a marathon on my on my feet i like i didn't even think of that I was just like, oh, yeah, it's a groin strain. Who cares? And the actual condition and the mental condition and I got from the 100K came into like it was nearly on autopilot for the three marathons. And it's something I didn't actually expect to happen. And it was only an actual reflection that I knew that was there. So now I always say to people, after doing those two challenges, everything now is a piece of cake. Like absolutely everything I do flying Ryanair dealing with delays it's a it's a piece of cake like going shopping for an hour absolutely fine having to walk 50 minutes home because you can't get a taxi absolute no sweat but um yeah I I've I've had a few people come up to me and go surely you can't leave us a two you need to do a third one but I think I'm I'm content enough having just those two those two on the CV and and call it quits there Richie, like, it's absolutely unbelievable. I'm almost lost for words on what to even say following those two stories. And as I said earlier, it's completely inspiring to hear that you've even done those challenges, but on top of it, to add that extra unwanted layer of complication, mm. you live with type 1 diabetes. So almost everything that you were even explaining in terms of the physical and the mental and the exhaustion and just every part of it. There's also that, where are my blood sugars? Are my blood sugars yeah. going up? Are they going down? Do I need insulin? All these different things. And what I was going to ask you was, and you, you pretty much answered it already was, which challenge did you find more difficult? And I, I kind of laughed to myself there when you said the, uh, the three marathons in a day felt easy because you were so well conditioned mentally from 100K because yeah. for any normal person to even comprehend doing three marathons like that in a day, it's it, it, almost impossible to even think about. But you obviously just built up that unbelievable mental resilience from the 100K that you're just like, ah, these three marathons are easy. Yeah. No, like as in 
in like a weird way, like uh, it also made me rethink how I view like my my past and like everything you experience and all the memories you have. I used to think like, oh, there, there's something kind of you look back on and think, oh, remember that time I did this or remember this terrible thing happened then. But like ultimately they give you a huge amount of fuel and they give you the ability to cope with what's in front of you. And that's what I mean. I didn't realize the actual mental fortitude I had for those three marathons was already instilled in me. Because when I looked back on the 100K, I thought, oh, how crazy was that? Rather than thinking, oh, I've actually gained so much from that. So like I always say, physically, the three marathons was much tougher, albeit after the 100K, I couldn't walk for two days, couldn't go back to the gym for two weeks. But like I, I didn't physically get battered by that. It was just a case of I wasn't prepped for it. But the the three marathons physically was just absolute torture. There was never a stage due to me being too short to handle a saddle or for the row and just to being so brutal. It was just constant. Like there was no let up ever. There was just it was constantly pain. It was just constantly pushing yourself. While, as I said, from a mental point of view, the hundred k still to this day and i've had some pretty rough days and even like when i was told i was diabetic the reaction i had at that 60 whatever kilometer period that's that's the weakest i felt as a as a human and that's kind of rich coming from a guy who was doing his best leonardo DiCaprio and in a villa in portugal while he's you know (laughs) spitting out his own saliva grasping for (laughs) any piece of glucose he could find but um yeah, like both physically and mentally, they both were tougher than each other, but uh, they were they were tough in their own rights. Like, as I said, even the, the diabetic factor of having 25 minutes of complete panic on Clintarf near Bull Island and going up in a sweat to a cafe demanding a can of Coke for free. Um, it had it ha- had all its ups and downs, but yeah, I, I, I definitely do think it did. They both were tough in their own right, but like if I, I had to absolutely pick one, the hundred k. But that was mainly down to the the lack of preparation and the fact that I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Mm. And from what you said earlier, admittedly, you you kind of said you were lazy or you decided to be lazy, and absolutely, you, yeah, you kind of would always or often come up second best with with rugby and those kind of things previously. And what you said was very interesting about how these experiences or these quote unquote negative experiences that we've yeah. had kind of act as fuel to to push us to do these sort of things. And I'm sure two, three, four years ago, you never would have been able to see yourself do these challenges. So do you think that everyone has that in them because everybody who lives everybody who's listening to the podcast now myself included have negative experiences in their past have bad times in their past that could potentially be that fuel do you think all of us have that kind of that grit and that bite to get through these things physically and mentally um no absolutely because i just think I I think it's it's a lot of the times, and I found this prior to it, where 
when you get confronted by something that is rather terrifying or if it's something that you are told not to do, you do find the easy way to get yourself out of that situation very quickly. But I think from everyone's point of view, and this is just what I reflect on mine, it's it just really depends. There's always a voice in there that is willing to say yes to the the scary question you ask. And like the question is like, can I can I walk hundred K in twenty four hours? There's always a little voice that would be like, Yeah, you actually can. But then mm. it's bigger, stronger steroid muscle big brother if you allow it will say no you can't do it you're a diabetic you can't do 5k you can't do this it's like uh, hundreds of people said you won't be able to do it there's a guy in london an a and e who is nearly passing away due to exhaustion you can't do it so there is definite ways where you can just build yourself towards the negative side of things and i think that's that ultimately comes from something that like it, it it's always better to do something really bad. So like what I mean is like, it's better to do something badly than to not do it at all. So having the mindset of, okay, I'm going to do three marathons, but if I fail, I fail, but at least I tried is something that is good. And then there's also that mindset where if you can change it to like, you're not the person you could be and you know that then you're always going to constantly be chasing something and striving for something and what i mean by that is like to put this into perspective of a non-fitness or physical related thing for the latest job i had i got told by 32 companies in a total of 48 different interviews that i wasn't the man they were looking for i thanks for going through one, two, sometimes three stages of interviews to be told you're not the man for the job, there's someone better or else there's a better woman for the job. And with that, as I said, how that translates from my physical thing back into real life, I have that mindset now where I'm like, yeah, stuff will be thrown at me. Yes, things can happen. Yes, I can fail every single minute of every single day. But you absolutely know that you can keep going through that because if you do keep going through that and stay in the fight, there is going to be that good stage where you actually end up achieving what you set out to. And that's something I gained straight away from being a diabetic. And I think every single diabetic, if you're a diabetic listening to this, you've already achieved what a huge amount of people wouldn't be able to achieve. Because I think a lot of people take it for granted because it's it's out of their hands. Like I, I didn't wake up the day after Liverpool lost 3-0 to Real Madrid when I officially was told I had diabetes, I didn't wake up with the intention of being a diabetic that day. I just was told. But for everyone who does get diagnosed with it, you have to live every single day with it. You have to think, you know, hundreds of more thoughts than any other human has to contend with. But then more importantly, it actually gives you that ability to take something that for the normal human being is quite, you know, terrible and something that is to be avoided if if possible. But you've actually dealt with that and you've had good successes on it as well. And that ultimately is one thing I'm I'm so grateful for. And I remember I spoke to you about it on my podcast while I had you on that 
a lot of diabetics you'll ask, oh, would you go back and, you know, not have diabetes? A crazy amount of diabetics who are, you know, content with their lives and feel like they're doing well, they'll tell you, no, I'd actually, I'd, I'd rather be in the position I'm in now than I was mm-hmm. before that. Because if you interviewed the Richie Allen before I was a diabetic, I would be two and a half stone heavier than I am now. I'd be still that same lazy academic who doesn't want to push himself. I'd still be the guy who probably drinks too much. I'd be the guy who would still smoke cigarettes. I'd be the guy who would be the last person you'd see in a gym. I'd be the last person you'd see being there for my mates when it mattered. So all those things bundle into, you know, one makes me think that especially for most diabetics listening to this, you deal with every single morning being told you can't do this. You need to be careful of this, but I'm not saying you have to go ahead and do absolutely every single one of them, but every single day without you knowing it, you're told that you have to live a restricted life, which is somewhat true, but there are stages where a lot of people who are in normal shoes tell the people like ourselves how to live when Mm -hmm. they haven't lived a day in our shoes to begin with. So I definitely do think there's huge limits to people and Two and a half years ago, I would have told most people, oh, yeah, I couldn't do those things, but I did them. And now that I've did them, I now think, okay, what what's next now? Like, what can I actually do to expand my mental capacity? Should I try to do 200K walk in 48 hours? Will that make me even more bulletproof or stronger? But I, I can't, I wish I could paint a picture to people of like how, not worthless I was, but like how lazy and how just like anything, any speed bumps in the road would just cause me to turn around and walk the other way. But like now it's it's the polar opposite. If I see, see a speed bump, I, I put it into second gear and get, get that speed going. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I hope that makes somewhat sense. Makes a lot of sense, Richie. And I'm sitting here almost tearing up listening to what you're saying. <laughs> because No, honestly, and it's it's... It's and I know I've used this word so many times throughout this podcast, but it's just unbelievable how you've done this and even just how you speak of that just now. And and I know anyone listening, including myself, it makes so much sense because we will always and have always heard of you can't do this or this is how you're restricted yeah. or there's no way you can do that. And that could even come from an outside party or our own head where we think that, oh, yeah, I am diabetic. I can't do that. Or somebody else says, oh, you've diabetes, you can't do that. But you've just perfectly outlined and perfectly shown how essentially anything is possible. And to go from such a, a, a dramatic, well, to have such a dramatic and drastic transformation as you've had in recent years, it's it's inspiring for, for anyone listening. And... I have an interesting quote here from you when you were asked, what has diabetes taught you? And you said, not to take every word as gospel. I've been told so many things that I can't do, yet I've done them and lived to tell the tale. So what sort of message would you have for someone? And the first person that comes to mind is your doctor who (laughs) said that you can't do these things or you never would be able to do these things. What would you say now? 
Yeah, I think what I'd I'd say to that is it, it's really all about perspective. Like that is so important. Like the diabetic I am now was different before I did these these challenges. The diabetic before I had those hypos, the diabetic when I was four five years ago uh, down the line but I do think it is it is something that like life life can be pretty miserable at times and as I said even some of the the reasons for me doing these challenges was because I was mentally not in a really bad place but I was just I was I was looking for something to latch on to and be positive about and that kind of gave me the ability to do it but as I said my god the amount of times I've been told you can't do that. You're not going to be able to do that. And this is this is a nor- normal life as opposed to just being a diabetic. But as you know, when you're diabetic, that only gets amplified. But what I would say is that there is the only way for you to actually improve and actually reach your potential. And this is in any way, shape or form. This is not just, oh, do a crazy challenge and you're sorted. This is to do with jobs, education, sport if you're learning the guitar and you're stuck three weeks in because you can't play a power chord like there's loads of different ways you can put it but as in the only way you learn about what you're actually capable of is getting past that that sticking point and it's only until i as i said got to that vulnerable place 60 something percent through that 100k that i got there and i got through the other side of it that it, it literally, it, it felt like a massive curtain was in front of me for 25 years of my life. And that then once I pulled back the curtain, I realized, holy crap, there's, there's not just a stage wall here. There's a whole new arena. There's a whole new theater of ways to look at your life, look at your job, look at physical, mental things, view your relationships. It's crazy. Like it's, um, and that's what I mean. There's something it's not just physical uh, aspects that you have to get through as in there could be some big job you want to get and you need to hit a deadline and you don't think you're capable of hitting the deadline, but you do. You could be a teacher and dealing with a student like I used to be that is completely hopeless and not willing to do the work, but then he gets to the leaving cert and when you think he's going to fail honors, whatever geography, he ends up getting a B and you're like, my God, how did he do that? Um, so, I think it is something that there's obviously minor ways of doing it, but the biggest issue a lot of people have, and I had it as well, and I regret I regret saying it, is just push yourself to that sticking point where it's a bit uncomfortable, you're a bit afraid, you kind of want to go back to what you're comfortable with, but try push through. And because if you do push through, my word, the the reward is it's it's better than it's better than literally anything I've had to pay for in my life or been given as a gift. It's it, honestly, it's I can't even sometimes put into words how profound the last year and a half have been from a just a just a mindset point of view. It's crazy. Mm. You can definitely tell how passionate you are about that mental transformation as i as i touched on earlier and it is so clear and it's so obvious even just by the way you speak about it and if other people listening right now are are much like me they're thinking 
oh my God, I need to start. I really need to start doing things like this now so I can feel that way too, you know? Mm. Um, I'm not saying we're all going to go out and walk 100K and no, three marathons in 24 not. hours. But, but what sort of advice would you have for somebody who is listening to this and they've lived their life with diabetes thinking, I can't do that because they felt it themselves or they've been told it from an outside party. But now they're thinking, whoa, I, I need to try that thing or I need to test that out or I need to test how I can deal with something physically or mentally. What sort of first step do you think someone could take? Just by honestly saying to the tough questions and the toughest questions you'll ever ask in your whole life are the really honest ones you have to ask yourself. It's easy to ask other people questions. It's either easy to ask questions when you're typing into Google, but the ones you actually ask yourself, like you don't even speak aloud when you're saying them. And when you actually give the honest responses back, they're the toughest ones to ask and answer respectively. But just by saying yes to that one, because sometimes you've built yourself up in such a way where you're like, oh, I can't do this. I, I definitely can't. But I remember there was a quote and it's one that I, it has absolutely stuck with me hugely over ever since really I left college where it's like it was saying the kind of idea of hell hell is hell is when you die you go down and you meet the person you could have been as opposed to the person you could have been um and I think there's a lot to be said to that where by saying no and doubting yourself you get yourself into a place where you're just in this little box and you're not afraid you're too afraid to expand and listen sometimes when you expand and try to push yourself you do get burnt a little bit but even the learnings from those bad experiences give you such crazy hindsight but what i'd say to people who are somewhat on the fence oh i'm thinking of i'm giving i'm thinking of giving up alcohol i'm thinking of quitting my job i'm thinking of going for this job i'm thinking of doing a master's in this it's just like sometimes the toughest thing to do rather than, you know, what's easy saying, yeah, oh, I think I might do that, but such and such said that, or I looked on Google and said that, or they said that's a bad idea. Sometimes it's actually really looking down and sometimes asking yourself, do I want to do this? And if the answer back is yes, and that, that's coming from you, it's not coming from anyone else, you have to do it. Because like, mm -hmm. as I said, it's not about success or failure. It's because you have to do it. That's it's you want to do it. And when there's such unfilled, sorry, untapped potential in there, you just simply have to. And like, I can't, I, the amount of times I've listened to people who have done that or stopped doing something they were not happy with and the rewards they've gotten and I think everything over the last two years has given us a huge amount of perspective as to, you know, what really makes us tick. We've had so much days where we've just had ourselves with our own thoughts and we've not had the the comfort of holidays and going to coppers to a close and doing whatever you wanted every single week. We've been somewhat restricted. So we've had to, you know, spend time with ourselves and see family and realize what's important. But the one thing I'd say is if people are somewhat cautious about trying something or doing something, if you ask yourself if you really want to do it and the answer is yes, 
then there's there's no other opinion, there's no other answer that can outweigh that. No way. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think you touched on it earlier about even those two different voices in your head of the the voice that's always there but slightly quieter of maybe you should try this or maybe you should do this. Yeah. And then oftentimes the louder voice is the one telling you you shouldn't. Keep yourself safe, keep yourself comfortable, not even safe, but keep yourself comfortable and yeah. keep yourself in a an environment that you, you're you're used to. You know, stay in that safe zone. And even just from listening to you speak today, Richie, it seems as though when you get out of that safe zone or that comfort zone, what you can take from that is invaluable. And I know you've probably answered this now. I have one more question. I could honestly talk to you all day, Richie, to be to be quite honest, but we've now been two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm definitely going to get you on again at some stage because I have a certain idea or I have a feeling that you're not just going to stick to the two challenges. So I'm definitely looking forward <laughs> we'll to hearing see. the third, fourth, fifth and sixth, to be honest. Um, but look, you've probably answered this question a hundred times over already, but I always like to finish these episodes with, with one question for each guest. Yeah. And that is, if you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, Richie, what would that be? Oh, good question um i think what i thank diabetes for doing is really allow me to become the individual i was supposed to be and what i mean that mean by that is I would always compare myself to someone else and what they were doing today rather than, you know, comparing comparing myself to who I was, say, yesterday and how I could improve on that. I always thought about other people and diabetes gave me the I- idea that, you know, this is who you are. There's no escape in it. So now you need to compare where you were yesterday, how you can get better and how you can keep doing that day by day. And as I said earlier in the podcast, it gives you a a day-to-day appreciation of life. So I'd probably say that. I love it. Richie, thanks so much for coming on. I've really, really, really enjoyed talking to you and hearing those stories. Absolutely incredible to hear what you have done and achieved despite living with type 1 diabetes for a relatively short period of time. So thanks so much for joining us. No problem, Mon. Listen, it's always a pleasure to chat to fellow Irish people more importantly fellow diabetics and I think I think the stuff you're doing especially getting these different stories on every single week um, it just makes diabetes more relatable and yeah if anyone can take anything that's somewhat helpful out of this podcast that's that's the name of the game whether it's one person 50 people a thousand you never know um, but yeah no, listen, I enjoyed the chat and thanks again for having me nice one you're a gent and listen Richie before you jump off is there Anywhere people can connect with you or find out more about you? Um, I suppose the only place if they ever want to see me potentially do something crazy again. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I knew I, you would. I don't run my podcast anymore, unfortunately, but uh, I did run a podcast called Rounds Rant if they do want to check that out. And then with regards to if they want to follow me, 
the best place would probably be Instagram because that's where I'll be doing those crazy challenges and what my new username is Richie underscore Alan 23. Good stuff. I think myself and everyone else listening are uh, we're expecting another challenge in the relatively yeah. near future. There's whispers, <laughs> there's whispers, yeah. but we'll, we'll see. 100%. Listen, Richie, thanks so much again. And I'll chat to you soon, all right? No problem, Mom. Thanks again. What a story. I know I said it over and over and over again, but what an unbelievable and insane story that that was. And when Richie was talking us through that whole experience, I felt as if I was kind of there with him going through the whole thing because he, he explains it so well. But what an insight into how unbelievably transformative and insane physical challenge like that, like those can be. And I think what's even more amazing about the two of those is the fact that it's obviously an incredible physical challenge and mental challenge. But then on top of that, even to consider trying to manage your bloods around it is just blew me away. Anyway, look, another massive thank you to Richie for coming on. It was fantastic to hear that story. And a massive thank you to you for tuning in each week and giving us your ears to speak into every time we do an episode. I hope that today you leave feeling more hopeful, more inspired, more confident around your diabetes, knowing that these things are possible. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go and walk 100k in 24 hours or do three marathons in 24 hours. But Richie just shows that these things are possible. And he emphasized how diabetes shouldn't be the reason you don't challenge yourself to do whatever it is that you want to do. And what really struck me about that is Richie admittedly said he was a pretty lazy sort of guy. And how he changed was first done by simply making the decision to change. And now he's an absolute machine, as as you can tell from his story. So I hope you feel inspired by that, as I do. And it just goes to show you, like we always say on the podcast, diabetes should be your reason to do something, not your excuse. But as always, massive thank you to you. Have a good week. Have a good day. Look after those blood sugars. And we will chat to you soon. Take it easy.